Hello and welcome to the Premier League Central Eurocast, your first stop for news and opinions on the Euros. We will be taking you through the tournament here at Premier League Central and I'm very happy to say that I'm joined by my good friends Paddy Hayes and James Wilkinson. How are we, James? Yeah, I'm good, man. All good here. Pubs are open, the sun's out. It's uh, starting to get back to normality here in Ireland, so can't complain. Euros are starting on Friday, so all good. Yeah, it's not been too bad here as well in sunny Wigan. Um, just getting ready for the Euros, a bit like Paddy, and uh, yeah, two days to go. And looking forward to it now. Well, I'm going to round off uh, our exclusive weather reports for very specific parts of uh, of Europe, and Sussex is also very, very nice this time. At <laughs> this time, so I'm very glad to report that the weather is excellent for all of us. Um, first of all, let's get on to the. Um, uh, the big stories ahead of the Euros. Two very underwhelming uh, performances from England ahead of the Euros. Now, a bit of context is required. No Harry Maguire, Jordan Henderson only fit for a cameo, and none of the Chelsea or Manchester City players were anywhere to be seen. So this isn't the strongest England eleven that we saw, but are we are we worried for the three lines um, with those performances, or do we think um, people are placing too much stock on uh, friendly performances? Uh, to be honest, I don't think I'd take a whole pile from them. As you say, they were missing a lot of their key players. Um, to be honest, I don't think Gareth Southgate was too bothered about either game. I think he kind of made that that clear himself in the, the press conference he's done in the build-up and, and um, you know other thoughts he's given. I think, look, if if he was really too bothered about getting, you know, wins in the friendly games, you probably would have seen his best team play at least one of them, which we just didn't see. Um, so, yeah, I don't think there's a whole pile to take from him, especially because, you know, James Ward-Prowse, Jesse Lingard, Ben Godfrey were playing. They're not even in the squad. So, it's, I think, England, personally, I think they thought it was a bit of a waste of time um, even playing them. So, yeah, look, I, I wouldn't take a whole pile from them, to be honest. Yeah, I agree with Paddy. I wouldn't really take too much away from it. I think maybe possibly the Romania game, you probably expected them to score maybe more than one against Romania. Um, but yeah, like Paddy said, I think when you've still got the likes of Lingard and White and Godfrey and, and, and Ward Prowse and players like that who aren't selected for the main squad, but are still having to start regardless because of the City and Chelsea players not being there, um, I think it was going to be very stop-start and I think if you look at the two games, we saw England playing 4-4-2 in the first half and playing five at the back in the second half of some of the games. Um, and like Paddy said, obviously, we've had to play players that we wouldn't necessarily want to play or we're not taking with us to the to the international tournament. Um, but I think if we played the likes of Harry Kane for the two games and he got injured unnecessarily, then I think you know people would have been calling for Southgate's head and especially with the big game coming up on Sunday. Um, I don't think it's worth taking the risk and performances don't really matter at this point. Okay. Um, and moving on to someone who, a country who've become a bit of a dark horse for the tournament. Italy had a very, very impressive performance against the Czech Republic. Do we think that for all the talk of France and Portugal, Italy might have a shot at winning this thing? Hundred percent. I think I, I'm a big fan of this Italy team. I mean, they haven't lost a game since 2018. I think so, um, and they've conceded very few goals in that time as well. Scored a fair few. Um, look, I mean, their their games during the week were against San Marino and Czech Republic, who 
like San Reno, as we all know, they, they won seven nil, which isn't barely even an achievement for you know a self-respecting professional football team. Um, Czech Republic aren't the best either. You know they're obviously better than San Marino, so to dispatch them four nil was, I suppose, fairly impressive. Um, but yeah, I think Italy are they're very underrated. It's probably all coming from the fact that they didn't qualify for the last World Cup. You know, fans of other countries are probably you know still expecting them to not be the best of sides. But I think they've had a bit of a talent explosion in the last year or two. Um, I think their midfield is probably the best in the tournament when you think of, you know, Marco Verratti is a he's a world class player. Um he's kinda, you know, they're sweating about his fitness at the moment. But even if they don't have him, they still have Nicola Barella, Manuel Locatelli, Lorenzo Pellegrini and uh Piscina as well, who was called up for um the injured Stefano Sensi, who I think is another excellent player. Um so I think, yeah, and Jorginho as well is is probably gonna start for Mancini because he loves him. For whatever reason, I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, they, just, they have quality all over the pitch. So I think if it's as simple as playing your best XI and whoever is the best 11 wins, then I think Italy will have a great chance. But then when you add the fact that they have Mancini as well, who is a really good manager and has been, you know, I mean, the, the, the team have been so much better since he took over. I think they have a really good chance of winning it. Yeah, com- completely agree with Paddy. I think if you look what Mancini's done since he's come in, he sort of got rid of the older players that we've always seen in the squad and he sort of brought the youth through. Um, I mean, if you look at the front three of Insigne, Immobile and um, Berardi, I mean, Immobile's just been scoring goals for the last two, three seasons in Serie A. And I think in international football, you need a goal scorer, you know, a number nine who's going to score goals because international football is usually a tight game. You know, nil-nil with the final 10 minutes, especially in a tournament. If you've got somebody who only needs one chance or half a chance to get a shot on target or to test a keeper, um, I think that's massive. And, you know, you look at the back line, if you look at Donnarumma and the age of him, um, you know, it's still hard to believe. He's still, you know, a really young goalkeeper with the amount of games he's played. And they've still got the likes of Benucci and, like Paddy said, Verratti in the squad. And I think the change that Mancini's done you know, going to a four-three-three has made them a little bit more expansive, and I think the youth that they've brought through, the likes of Barriella and you know players of that sort of elk, have, have really elevated them. And I think if you any team or any country who goes unbeaten for two years, I think you have to take seriously going into a knockout competition past the group stage. Yeah, I agree. Um, any country who um... We can have uh, Federico Chiesa on the bench for them. Is uh, a is a threat, and then you've got the likes of Bastoni as well at the back, who's got Chiellini and Bonucci as two really experienced heads to, you know, guide him through the tournament as well. If he comes on, Italy have got a really really strong squad. On to another team that's got a pretty impressive midfield lineup, Germany. Um, it looks like Josu Kimmich might be playing at right wing back for them. Um, do we think that because he, I mean, he's world-class at uh, right back or wing back, and he's also world-class midfield. Do we think that this provides more balance for Germany? Or do we think that taking Kimmich out of the midfield um, to slot him in at right back um, uh, takes away from the quality of their midfield too much? Yeah, I can see the argument for, you know, just leaving a midfield where he's possibly the best in the world in that position. Um, but for me, I think when you have the quality of centre midfielders that Germany have, 
I mean, you look at Tony Cruz, Ilkay Gundogan and, and Leon Goretzka, again, three of the best number eight slash sixes in the world. So, um, look, you're asking, do you want to play Klosterman, Kimmich and Goretzka or do you want to play Kimmich, Cruz and Goretzka? Um, I think the answer is simple for me. Um, and then you have Thomas Muller as well, who kind of has to play number 10, meaning you can really only play two in centre midfield. So I think getting your best players on the pitch is, is key in an international tournament. So I think it's the right decision to play Kimmich at right back or probably right wing back, um, judging from Germany's last few games where they played a five. Um, I think, you look, he's going to have more space out there, out in the flanks, similar to, I suppose, how Trent Alexander-Arnold does it for Liverpool. Um, and yeah, I think, look, again, Germany could be dark horses if, if Yogi Lowe gets it right because they have such talent in the squad. And I think that midfield battle is, is probably the key element of that. Yeah, again, agree with Paddy. I think if it was a position that Kimmich has never played before, then I'd be a little bit concerned. But obviously, he's played it right back before for Bayern Munich before he got shifted into that number six role. Um, and I, th- I think perhaps it's maybe Lowe's just trying to be a little bit more conservative. You know, they got knocked out of the group stage at the World Cup in Russia. And, you know, perhaps he doesn't want to, this is his final international tournament. Perhaps he doesn't want to get knocked out early doors or, or you know, an early exit into the in the knockout stages. Um, but yeah, I think, like Paddy said, I think in an international tournament and in a team like Germany, you've got to get your, plus, your best players on the pitch. Um, and you, you certainly can't have a player like Kimmich on the bench or, or just not on the pitch at all. And like you know, Paddy said, the, the pool of quality they've got Germany in that midfield is is remarkable. And I th- like if, if you know, they've just called back Thomas Muller, you don't do that without thinking you're going to play him. And obviously that's good, like Paddy said, take a player out of the midfield. So, yeah, I think uh, if he hadn't played that position, maybe it would have been a concern for Germany. But, you know, he's played right back for arguably one of the greatest teams in Europe over the last four or five years. So, yeah, it's uh, it's a no-brainer, really. Okay, and um, now we're going to move on and have a little bit more of a look at England. And the first question is, um, obviously, Alexander-Arnold, um, very sadly for him, has, uh, is going to miss the tournament. Uh, I'm sure that he will be playing in plenty of tournaments for England going forward, but that's not going to be much of a consolation for him. Um, obviously, England is probably the nation in the world best equipped to handle losing a right back of um, Trent Alexander-Arnold's quality. But how, how much of an impact do we think this is going to have on this England team who aren't necessarily set up to use offensive fullbacks to the same extent that um, Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool are? To be honest, I'm not sure if it will have much of an impact because I'm not convinced that he would have played anyway. Um, don't get me wrong. I think he absolutely should have been one of the first names on the team sheet. But I think Southgate just fancies James, Trippier and Walker a little bit more and he fancies Trent for you know whatever reason. Um, and as you say, Max, I think the, the three of them are more than competent more than competent players who would probably start for most teams at the tournament. So it's a good problem to have in terms of picking which one to play. Um, I think Reese James is fairly similar to Trent in terms of his delivery. Obviously not as good, but I don't think there's really anybody in the world as good as Trent um, at delivering balls into the box. But um, yeah, look, it depends, as we say, is he going to play Kyle Walker there if he's coming up against a quick winger rather than Trippier or James? I don't know. We'll see what happens with that. Is he going to play a back five and play Walker as the right centre-back? Nobody's really sure at the moment, but... um, yeah, in terms of missing out on Trent, of course, 
it's going to be a, a blow to lose a world-class player, simple as that. But would he have played anyway? I, I'm not really sure, to be honest. Yeah, I wasn't really convinced when Trent got brought up to the squad. Um, I did think it was sort of maybe Gareth taking it to sort of get some heat off his back. You know, there was a lot of pundits, there was a lot of people out there questioning uh, whether Trent should go in the first place or people were pushing for Trent to go. So I sort of think he's took him as maybe to get everyone off his back and maybe a bit of a wild card. Um, the only way I could have seen him fitting into this England team under Southgate would have been with five at the back. Um, but I don't know how often we're going to see that in the tournament. I think with the attacking talent we've got, I think you'd have to play four at the back to try and get as many of those creative players as you can on the pitch. But yeah, like Paddy said, I think it could have been a similar scenario to when he went to the World Cup on the back of getting to a Champions League final where he might play the third game if England are already through or he might come on with 10 minutes to go if England are 3-0 up, something like that. But I didn't really see him playing it. You know, a massive role in this England side. I think, you know, Southgate is pretty set on Trippier and Walker and always taking James. But I think if you had to say to me who is his favourite two out of the three, I think he would say Carl Walker and Trippier. So I guess it's a little bit of a, you know, a loss for for Trent, a tournament coming so young. And, you know, we seem to find that form right at the end of the season. But, you know, I, I guess he'll just have to wait for the World Cup next next winter. But yeah. Um, I didn't really see him playing that much anyway. Yeah, interesting um, to see how England move on without him. Um, one question I do have is, so as we talked about before, England didn't play beautifully against Austria or Romania, but who do you think has played their way into the starting eleven? And I'm sure a certain Aston Villa number ten will probably be at the, uh, at the forefront of these discussions. And also, do you think that any um, any players who might have been nailed on to start will probably be a little nervous over their spots? Yeah, Max, I think you're hit the nail on the head there. Jack Grealish is the one. I think he's probably the best player in both games, to be honest. Um, he was playing kind of as a number 10 as well, as you say, not really on the left wing, where you've kind of seen him for the last few years at Villa. Um, he's just unbelievable. Every time he gets the ball, it's just danger. Um, defences just don't know what to do. And that's, you know, coming from me, an Irishman, who is, I'm not his biggest fan, to say the least. Um, so that kind of pains me to say. On top of that, Declan Rice is fairly good as well, which is... <laughs> Just beautiful as we draw nil all against Hungary um, and scrape past Andorra. But look, what can you do? Um, yeah, look, Grealish is he's unbelievable. I think he has to start. If he doesn't start, it's it's ridiculous, really. It's incompetent management. I think if he doesn't, he's probably their most dangerous players in both games. Aside from that, I think Kaya Saka was very good in the first game against Austria. He got the goal, obviously, but I think his general play was good as well. Um, then he didn't play against Romania for I'm not sure what the reason was. But he, um, I think he could be a secret weapon for England this summer. Um, he's kind of hasn't got a whole pile of mention in terms of starting games, but I think off the bench he could be a big threat. Aside from that, I think Jude Bellingham was really good, which you know I personally think that anyone who's not picking Jordan Henderson in their first choice eleven for England is a lunatic, simply put. But I think Jude Bellingham will probably be pushing him hard now at this stage because of of Hendo's fitness worries. Um, but yeah, other than that, I think this, the the big question is going to be if Harry Maguire is not fit, 
who plays centre back because Mings didn't really impress. Cody was okay. He was fine. He didn't do a whole pile wrong. Um, and Ben White was, you know, as we know, has been called up. So um, that's going to be the big question going forward, I think. Yeah, I can only echo the Jack Grealish performances. I think, you know, for somebody who hasn't really played much this season uh, through injury, I think he's, you know, these two friendlies have sort of shown us just how good Jack Grealish is. You know, it's been a while since we've really seen him play competitively, um, especially at Aston Villa. So, I mean, like Paddy said, he, he makes things happen. You know, there's a reason he's the most fouled player in the Premier League season on season whenever he's in it. It's just because of how good he is with the ball at his feet how quickly he can take uh, take it past you. Um, and yet the, the same, you know, good performances as what Paddy said. I think Bellingham's probably someone who we're all sort of clinging on to as the next, you know, central midfielder that can sort of drag us forward, especially at such a young age. But to who you said might be worried about the place in the starting eleven, uh, Max, I think it's going to be Raheem Sterling. I think under Southgate and under previous managers, I think he's been, you know, the first name on the team sheet alongside the likes of Harry Kane. But his form this season and you know, how he played in the Champions League final, I really think it's under threat, especially if, you know, like Paddy said, we saw Jack Grealish play in the number 10 role. But obviously we've seen him play week in, week out for Villa off the left-hand side. And I do think he can play there for England. So I think if there's anybody who should be nervous or should be sweating about starting that first game against Croatia, I do think it should be Sterling. Very interesting. Um, one question I had is um, people are talking about going with a 4-2-3-1 and playing Grealish, Mount and Foden all together behind Kane. Now, that is a technically brilliant um, attacking line. But I have a reservation that I think it might be a bit one-paced. Those players are all excellent, but they're not someone who's going to try and make that darting run behind the line. Do we think that could save a spot for Sancho, who I thought was all right, actually, when he played against Romania, um, save for that horrible shot that he blasted over the bar? Um, uh, but, yeah, I, I, I think it's an interesting dynamic. If we go with all of those three players, it could end up being a bit sort of play in front of the box. What do you guys think? I 100% agree with you there, Max, yeah. I think Foden... Grealish and Mount are all probably similar enough players. None of them, as you say, make that run in behind. So that's where I think Sterling or Rashford could play and Sancho as well, as you say. Um, to be honest, I think Sancho is actually more similar to Foden and Grealish than he is to Sterling and Rashford in terms of he likes the ball at his feet. He likes to to look up and, and pick his pass rather than you know running in behind. Um, he doesn't even like running at people that much. Um but I would start him, to be honest, because he's kind of a blend of the two. Then I'd probably go Grealish in the 10, as we've seen the last few games. And then, as you say, depending on the opposition, is it Foden? Is it even Sterling? I know Sterling's had a poor season, but it's just that that dynamic, as you say, that I suppose the, the best example to give is of how Spurs do it with Kane. And then you have Young min Song coming in off the left. I think that could be easily replicated with Rashford or Sterling coming in off the left. Um. Yeah. So I think look, Henderson and Rice is about as solid a midfield too as you're going to get in the tournament. Um. People saying you know that's two defensive midfielders. It's not. I mean, John Henderson isn't a defensive midfielder. He's he's a number eight. He's he's box to box. He does it all. 
Um, so anybody saying, you know, midfield three of Mount Foden and Rice, that's just, it's not going to work. Um, so, yeah, I think depending on the opposition, as you say, if they're trying to unpick a, a defence, then you can afford to play Foden and Grealish and Mount in the same team. Whereas if you're coming up against, a, I suppose, a, a possession dominant team, then Rashford or Sterling would be great weapons to have. But I think Sancho should be starting on the right flank no matter what. Yeah, I, th- I think my main concern with stars and all three would be if we're, you know, for example, playing a France or a Germany in the next round or a Portugal and, you know, it's nil-nil or we're losing one nil with 10 minutes to go and you need some creativity from the middle of the park or just behind your strikers. If you've got all three of them on, I think if Southgate looks to the bench, he's not really got anyone who's going to pick a pass out. That would be my reservation if it's not working. Who do you bring on? You can bring the pace on, but then if you've already got, if you're taking more creative players off, then who's going to give them, who's going to put the ball through them for them in tight areas to get the ball over the top for them to chase? So definitely wouldn't start all three. I think if any of the three are going to start, I do think it'll be, well, my personal opinion would be Grealish and Mount. I think obviously, Gareth Southgate loves Mason Mount anyway. And I think the form he's shown this season and obviously winning the Champions League, I think he deserves to start more out of the three. Um, but I think, you know, you have to start Jack Grealish in the opening game. I just think he's he's an absolute diamond and can make anything happen more out of the other two. And if the ball falls to the edge of the box and the three of the, I've got the option of the three of them trying to bend it into the top corner, I've, I've put my faith in Jack Grealish. But yeah, I certainly wouldn't start all three. Like you said, they're all a bit one-paced. Um, and if it's all going wrong for England, for example, who do you bring on to sort of replace them? Okay, and one final question on England before we get to our final section. Uh, ben White, the surprise call-up when a lot of people thought that James Ward-Prowse was going to come in. First of all, what do we think of the call-up? Um, and secondly, what do we think of his performance? Um, personally, I thought he was quite useful. I thought he was certainly more useful than Tyrone Mings, who terrifies me anytime anyone is running towards him. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think if Maguire is injured, Ben White could certainly be a prospect for a starter. What do you guys think? Yeah, I think it was a very sensible call-up, to be honest. A lot of people are talking about war pros, and I can see the argument for it because I actually think he's been good the games he's played for England. Um, and they are, I suppose, kind of light on number eight to midfield, but I think they're even more light in centre-backs. I mean, I think, personally, I think picking four centre-backs in a squad of 26 was fairly crazy anyway, never mind with Harry Maguire's injury worries. Um, so yeah, I think they kind of had to to call up Ben White. Um, as you say, I was impressed with him as well. Um, the, the the times I saw him or the in the the recent games he played, I think to be honest, he's probably pushing for a start if Maguire is not fit on Sunday alongside John Stones. Um, which uh, I think there's they, they basically they had to call him up. I don't think there's any two ways about it. I can see the argument for Ward Prowse. I mean, a lot of people are talking about with no trends they kind of need somebody for set pieces, but I mean, you can't just bring a player on to take a set piece and bring him back off again. So I think that's kind of not really feasible either in terms of Jesse Lingard as well, who is probably also getting a bit of a shout. I mean, they have enough number 10s as it is. They, they definitely didn't really need him. So yeah, I think centre-backs are needed the most. So I, I don't see any issue with calling up NY at all. Although having that said, maybe I'd have probably picked Desri Konza in the squad or Fikayo Tomori, but um, in terms of who the options were white and Godfrey, I think he picked the right one. Yeah, I think if you 
if you're an England fan now, once you saw that announcement come out on Monday, I think we all know where Harry Maguire is in terms of his fitness. I think he's a little bit further away than what everyone seems to think. And like Paddy said, you, you know, to take him a squad of 26, but to only take four centre-halves just seems ridiculous. If if two of them go down injured in the opening game or, you know, as a Liverpool fan this season, you know, I've seen three centre-halves go down injured and miss the whole of the season, really. So I think you have to be a little bit more pragmatic than that in, in your squad selection. I think... He's everything that Southgate wants. I think he's good in the air. He's good with the ball at his feet. I don't think he's going to have a problem passing the ball out from the back, um, which is obviously the way that Southgate's trying to play. That's why Pickford plays, to try and build the attack from the back. Um, and his clearance off the line against Austria really impressed me how he got back um, in, the, in the last-ditch clearance um, in what people thought might have been his last game uh, in the England squad. But, um, you know, I think he's fully deserved to go and, I think it's no coincidence that the likes of Liverpool and United and some of the biggest teams in the country have all been linked with him up the last 12 months from his performances um, in Leeds promotion um, when he was on loan there. So, yeah, I think if you can bring somebody in who's good with the ball at his feet um, and is good in the air, and like you just said, Max, Tyrone Mings, I don't know how he's anywhere near that England squad. I think it's just purely on the basis that he, I think he's the only left-footed centre-half that, England have got <laughs> playing in the top division at the moment. Um, but yeah, is um, is people's elbow in the first game against Austria has terrified me. Um, so like, like Paddy said, I think if, if you're going to ask me who would, who would I rather partner John Stones on the opening game, if it can't be Harry Maguire, then I think I'd sit easier in the pub watching Ben Stones alongside him than Tyrone Mings. Cause I think he'd just make me drink more. He might have already had a drink there, mate. His name's Ben White, not Ben Stones. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mate. Um, right, moving on uh, to a slightly less serious um, part of the podcast. I'm going to ask my uh, fellow presenters who they think is going to be that player who has an excellent tournament, gets a big move, and then flops at the club that he moves to. We've seen similar with Hammers Rodriguez, Renato Sanchez, Elhaz Juf and South Diao. For any Liverpool fans who are still suffering PTSD from that transfer window, I am completely with you on that front. Uh, Paddy, you can go first. Who's going to get the big unfortunate move? Yeah, I mean, this is hard to predict because these players are usually fairly average players who kind of magically turn into the best player in the world for a month. So it's kind of hard to to pick somebody that I don't really rate and, and decide that he's going to have a good tournament. Um, I think the one player that kind of comes to mind is Hakan Çalhanoğlu from Turkey. I've never really rated him. I mean, he scored a few banging free kicks for Hamburg and Bayer Leverkusen and then he got a move to Milan hasn't been very good until this season where he just turned into a chance creating machine. Um, but I don't think he's as good as all that. So I can see him, and especially because I can see Turkey having a decent run, I can see Chalanoglu maybe getting a few free kicks and going on a decent run with Turkey and getting a bit of talk and maybe moving to a bigger team than he's expected to move to because I think he is on the way out in Milan. I'm fairly certain that I've um, that he's going to get a move somewhere this summer. Um, so yeah, we could see him playing for Spurs or somebody like that rather than Everton or Aston Villa where I think he probably would be more suited. 
Very good. And now on to you, James. What do we think? It's like Paddy said, it, it is a really tough one. Um, to, to try and pick out someone, like I said, an average player who you don't think is, is going to do is too much of a good player or might just get that big move. Um, but I have a slight feeling that it could be Renato Sanchez again. I, I, I know he's already had the big move and it's failed, um, but I do think it can be him again. Um, I think he's had a good had a good season at Lille, um, but obviously they were flying. Um, so I just think that maybe if he does get another big move, um, I think to become a small fish in a big pond like he was when he went to Bayern Munich, you know, that was a top quality team where he went to last time. Um, it wouldn't surprise me to see him move on in the summer, you know, um, on the back of this tournament, if he does start um, like he did at Euro 2016. Um, but if you're going to ask me who's going to get another big move from that tournament, um, I think he's young enough to obviously go to another club again, but I'm, I'm probably going to have to go Sanchez again. Um, I know it's pretty boring and it's probably one that people don't want to hear. Um, but yeah, I, I just, on the basis of it hasn't worked out last time. Um, and I think he will start for Portugal. Uh, and I think they'll get very far in the tournament from obviously winning it uh, last time. Um, and obviously having Ronaldo up front and the likes of Jota and Fernandes in the team as well. So um, if he's on the move and it's going to be a big fee, um, I think we could see him flop again. Well, you nicked mine. <laughs> I, I thought I, Sanchez was mine as well. <laughs> um, right. Okay, let me think about this off the top of my head. Do you know what? Actually, on the subject of what we were talking about, I think Ben White could be that player. I think he could end up having a really good tournament in place of Harry Maguire. Everyone's going to go, oh, my God, he's the new Rio Ferdinand. He's the new John Terry, blah, 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 blah. He'll have a really good tournament. He will get a move with way, way, way too much pressure attached to it to a Liverpool or a Chelsea. Well, look, he's not a very Liverpool signing, despite the fact I've been linked with him. If he has a good tournament and he's English, he will be stupid expensive. So let's say a Manchester United signing um, and it will go horribly wrong. That's my prediction. I hope for his sake it doesn't happen because I really like him. But that script is just there, I think. Um, right, on to our next question. Um, I have asked my fellow presenters to come up with a bold prediction for the tournament. And when I say a bold prediction, I don't mean like, you know, Italy reaching the semi-finals or something like that. I mean bold. So, Paddy, thoughts? Yeah, I think I kind of alluded to it earlier on. I think Turkey could go fairly far. Um, maybe a semi-final isn't out of the question for him. Um, I think they have a nicely balanced squad. They have, you know, three very good centre backs in um Ozan Kabak, Chagler Soyuncu and Mary Demiral. Um obviously I think only they've been playing with a four at the back, so I think only two of them will start, probably Soyuncu and Demiral. But if one of them drops off Kabak, I think Liverpool fans would be confident in saying that he would be more than capable of stepping in and having a good tournament as well. Um as I say, they had Chalanoglu, who was probably going to be player of the tournament after my prediction earlier on. You have OK Yakuslu, who's been fairly good for West Brom despite their relegation. Um, big Baraki Ilmez up top after you know winning Liga on. 
he's going to be buzzing on that and um, he could bag a few goals. So yeah, I think they've a nice enough squad and they've been not the worst run to the final as well or to the out of the group and, and to the, I suppose, a semi-final. So yeah, I keep an eye on them. And other than that, I think this is probably as bold as it gets, but I think Hungary might get out of Group F, the group of death. I saw them playing against Ireland last night and they are absolutely dreadful. They like, didn't even manage to beat us, which is embarrassing on their behalf. So they absolutely should be battered in every single game, but there's something inside me and I don't know where it is or why it's it's talking to me, but there's something telling me they're going to get out of that group. Probably as a third place team, I you know I can just see them like, getting a win and over one of the big teams and, and just somehow plugging their way through it. I don't know why you watch them get bet 6-0 in each of their three games now, but um, there's just something telling me they're going to do it as well. Okay. Um, I like Hungary. That's but I feel like Turkey is like, I feel like Turkey is that prediction that everyone's saying is their bold prediction at the moment because I've, speak, I've been speaking to other mates as well and they're talking about Turkey doing well as well. So I like the Hungary thing. I'm a big fan of that. James, what's your bold prediction, my friend? The one I'm going for this week is uh, Olivier Giroud to be the top goal scorer of the tournament. Um, now, the reason I'm picking this one is because, obviously, Benzema went down with the knee injury last night. Um, so they're sweating over him on whether he's going to be fit to to start the first game. And if he's not, then obviously he's got to try and get to full fitness. Um, Giroud was, you know, pivotal in uh, France getting to the final of Euro 2016 and obviously the 2018 World Cup final. He scored again last night. He's only five away from Thierry Henry's, uh, equaling Thierry Henry's record for France of most goals. Um and I think he seems to fit that French French system really well. I think you know if, when he if he comes back into the team, I think we'll see them revert back to the four three three, with you know Mbappe on one side and maybe Dembele on the other, whipping balls in for Giroud. We know how dangerous he is in the box, especially if the ball's in the air. So yeah, I think if, uh, if France are going to go far in the competition and Benzema's not going to be a hundred percent fit, depending on his injury from last night, even if you just throw him on in extra time or late in the game. I'm sure he can get you a goal or two um, in each game. But yeah, Giroud to be the top goal scorer is is my bold prediction. Okay. Um, My bold prediction is that Jude Bellingham will be in the team of the tournament. I think that despite his age... He is just, he's so ludicrously talented. Like, of, of all the young midfielders out there, I think the only one of that age group who comes close to matching him is Ryan Gravenberch from, from the Netherlands. And I might have butchered that pronunciation. I apologise to any Dutch listeners. Um, but yeah, I think Bellium has got everything that you could possibly want from a midfielder, even at his age. I mean, if you watch him against Manchester City in the Champions League, he was absolutely phenomenal. And I don't think this stage will phase him at all. With Jordan Henderson being half-fit... Uh, I think Bellingham very much played his way into a starting role in England's midfield uh, next to Declan Rice. And yeah, I think this will be his breakout tournament um, for England after a breakout season with Borussia Dortmund. And he will be in the team of the tournament at the end of the tournament. I'm just going to say tournament one more time. (laughs) 
And finally, uh, <laughs> and finally, I'm going to ask my fellow presenters for their winner of the tournament. I hate predicting winners of international tournaments because what I always do is I look at the squads, I pick my, you know, my fantasy 11, I compare the, each of them and I always say, you know, this, you know, for example, France have the best team on paper, they're going to walk the tournament and it basically never, ever happens. Um, I did the same with the under 21s, the Euro, under 21 Euros. France, I said they walk it, no bother to them. Ufa Meccano and Canate at the back, they have, you know, talent all over the field and they got knocked out in the last 16. It just never is as simple as that. So, look, France should be winning it. I mean, their quality is insane. I think if Benzema, if he gets back himself and Mbappe, will be an unbelievable threat. Um, Kante and Pogba who is way better for France than he is for United uh, look they should be not walking the tournament because obviously nobody should be walking an international tournament but I, they're clear favourites if you ask me after that I think I kind of said about Italy earlier on their balance in their midfield is just I love it man they're, they have I suppose four centre midfielders who love to defend but who are also unbelievable going forward their front three is very dangerous their defence has barely conceded a goal in the last two years. Um, and then after that, Portugal, they just have such talent in the squad. I mean, going forward, they're unbelievable. But at the back, I think Ruben Diaz and, and Pepe are, Pepe is still going at 39 or 38, whatever he is. Um, and then their fullbacks as well are really, really good players. So I think the three of those would be the ones for me. You know, we could talk about England as well, who on paper are excellent, but I think they might just fluff their lines as per usual, which I wouldn't be too upset to see. Um, sorry, lads, about that. But yeah, I think they're the three teams I go for. So France, Italy, or Portugal. I'm not picking one. Um, you can you can pick that for me. So I'll pick that for you now, Paddy, and I'm going to say Italy. Um, I think they've got a, a good group to start off with, and then I think they're going to be on the easier side of the draw. I think by time. Italy come up against a strong opponent. I think the likes of either England, France, Portugal, and Germany could be out of the group by time it could, could be out of the competition by time it comes to that. Um, obviously, I've got my England shirt on now, so the the, 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 the little fan inside of me says, you know, it should be England um, to win it. I think um, the only thing that's holding them back is, regardless of whether it's in the first rounds of knockout stages or whether it's in the quarterfinals, they're going to have to play a France, Germany, or Portugal. Um, and I think with the defensive frailties that England have got, you know, no Hiram Maguire, and um, I'm not the biggest fan of Jordan Pickford, just being a Liverpool fan, but um, yeah, I think it's the defensive frailties uh, that will let England down, but. Um, I'm going to go with Italy. Like I said, that front three of Immobile, Insigne and Berardi, you know, they're, they're a front three who single-handedly are scoring 15, 20, 25 goals a season for the clubs. Um, and then the defensive stability, you know, like I said uh, earlier on in the show, you know, Donnarumma seems like he's been around for 10 years, but he's not. He's still in his early 20s. That's how young he is. And um, I think he's one of the best young keepers around in Europe, certainly maybe in the top five, top ten goalkeepers in the world right now. So, um, yeah, I think uh, having a proven winner as a manager as well, the Mancini, who's won things in Italy, he's won, thing in, won things in England and how he's turned them around with the youth. I think, you know, they've got the best shot. 
Right. Well, seeing as Paddy somehow managed to pick three winners, um, and James has gone into one, I'm going to. I, I actually think Portugal are going to win it, but I'm going to make the case that England might win it. Yes, that's right. I'm going into the positivity brand here, which is a new thing for me. Um, I think England has got overall the best attacking options at the tournament. I think they've got some really talented midfielders. And as anything needs, they need they have an abundance of talent of right back. Um, no, but in all seriousness, I think that England have certainly got the talent to uh, at least get to the final of the tournament, whether they will or not is another thing entirely. But I think they're perfectly capable of doing it. I don't think there is a team in the world that would look at options like Harry Kane, Marcus Rashford, Raheem Sterling, Phil Foden, Mason Mount, Jack Grealish, Jaden Sancho, like a ridiculous plethora of, of forward and midfield options that England has. And I think they're perfectly capable of scoring enough goals to get them through a tournament because we've seen teams with very dodgy defences win tournaments before. Um, And I think England's got enough individual talent to at least have a shot. So that is why England might win the tournament. But I do think Portugal is going to win it, which is a sad admission. Um, So after all of that, that brings our episode of the Premier League Central Eurocast to an end. Thank you very much to Paddy and James for joining me. Have a lovely evening, gentlemen. Um, If you want to find us online, you can find us at premierleaguecentral.co.uk. We will be opening up a social media account very shortly, uh, which you can follow us on that. Or if you want to look at our friends at Anfield Central, that's at Anfield Central on Twitter. That'd be fantastic. Once again, thank you, Paddy and James, for joining me. Thanks for having me on, Max. Hopefully I'll be back again in the next few weeks. Good to be on again, Max. It's always it's always interesting hearing everyone's outrageous predictions. But yeah, good to be on again. All right. Thank you very much. And thank you, listeners. And we will speak to you um very shortly and please enjoy the euros on behalf of everyone at premier league central